0: There's a reason why New Zealand is known as the Shaky Isles. The North Island has been struck by several
1: earthquakes this morning. The largest, a 4.3 magnitude quake.
0: 5.4 magnitude earthquake. Magnitude 5.5 earthquake.
2: 5.8 quake. Severe earthquake 7.1 struck off the East Cape in the early hours of this morning.
0: Our Fair Island sit atop a tectonic plate boundary. The risk of a major earthquake on the Alpine Fault has risen significantly. There's an 82% chance of it being magnitude 8. Or greater 21 fault lines ripped apart in the 7.8 Kaikoura earthquake, making it one of the most complex quakes anywhere ever. So we're used to the ground rocking and rolling. We're just having a bit of an earthquake here, Ryan. Quite a, quite a decent shake here. It's okay. Shit. But unlike other quake-prone countries around the world. We don't have an earthquake early warning system.
3: Mexico has its own system, Japan has its own system, China has its own system,
2: uh, Taiwan and Turkey that have the systems as well. But California is trying to set up an earthquake early warning system.
1: One that potentially could save thousands of lives if it had been instituted in New Zealand, for example.
0: Kia ora, I'm Sarah Robson, and today on The Detail, why doesn't New Zealand have an earthquake early warning system, and does it need one? Caroline Holden is a Wellington-based seismologist. She's leading a research project assessing and testing potential earthquake early warning systems that could be rolled out in New Zealand. I began by asking her to explain what an earthquake early warning system actually is. It's a system that after an earthquake, so the
3: earthquake has already happened, after an earthquake it would provide seconds of warning before incoming shaking, so before incoming ground shaking. A successful earthquake early warning system is actually based on three pillars. Uh, The first pillar is earthquake science. So this is where I've got my expertise in. And it's all about the seismology, understanding how earthquakes begin, and how they send all those um, strong seismic waves. The second pillar, it's about technology. So mostly about seismic sensors or seismometers. And how we can, you know, arrange them in an optimal way so we can, we can give as much warning as we can. And also, you know, how can they talk to each other to maximize the, the warning time? So that's our second pillar. Then come the, comes the third pillar, which is the end user. And they are critical. They're actually the most important part of an earthquake early warning system. And they, they are very important because they will define the alert Level they're interested in. For example, if you're uh, if you're the New Zealand public or the national emergency management agencies, you want to protect people, and so you want warning for moderate to strong level of shaking. If you're in a particular industry, you might want warning for a smaller level of shaking. If you own a really tall building in Auckland you might want warning for some different characteristics of shaking. So again, it
0: depends, you know, it's all defined by the end user. Earthquake early warning systems aren't about predicting earthquakes, are they? That's right. Yes, very good point. Yeah.
3: And so we're not predicting the earthquake. The earthquake has already happened. And so this is where we need the technology that will actually capture the seismic waves from that earthquake and send out the alert.
0: How would an earthquake early warning system be different to the alerts that we get already from emergency management? Those horrible sounding beeps when your phone goes off before we go into a lockdown or there's been a tsunami warning.
3: Yes, so they would be different in two ways. One is the the time. You receive those warnings so for an earthquake early warning system it will be instant and if you want to be really, really efficient and people to do the right action you don't want to tell them you've got five seconds or ten seconds you want to say incoming strong shaking and take action immediately so this would be the different time frame because once NIBA stand an alert it's already because the hazard has already occurred and uh, they've done a risk assessment and there's a risk for tsunami or fits of weather situation you know for a landslide or in coastal inundation and so on so the time the time frame is very different for an earthquake early warning system
0: it's happening seconds after the hazard has occurred so to recap how an earthquake early warning system works the earthquake starts that's picked up by sensors which trigger the alert system depending on where you set the shaking threshold an alert would be sent to people likely to feel it If you're close to where the shaking would be most strongly felt, you might get 5 or 10 seconds warning. Further away, where you might feel lighter shaking, you could get 30 seconds or even a minute. It doesn't seem like a lot of time. That's right. And this is where, again, I'm going back to my third pillar,
3: which is the end users. For a successful early warning system, it's not just about the alert. It's about what do you do with it, right? If you want to make a difference... You need to make sure that, you know, the people you're providing the warning for know what to do with it. And they know what to do, but they also know the uncertainties and the limitations. And so they have a complete understanding of the system. And so if it's, you know, about strong shaking, five seconds will give you enough time to drop, cover and hold. And that's going to be enough to, you know, protect uh, minor to life threatening injuries, for example. Uh, But even a second warning, if you have an automated system, let's say you set up such system for like, you know, public buildings that have elevators, you know, a few seconds of warning might be enough to make sure that the elevator stays at a particular floor and doesn't get stuck between floors. So again, it depends on your end user and and they need to understand, you know, what what they want and what they're going to get for that particular uh, threshold they're interested in.
0: Lauren Vanell is a social psychologist from Massey University.
1: So I'm interested in understanding, you know, the decisions that lead people to behave in a certain way. So for the last few years, I've been working around the shakeout earthquake drill that teaches drop, cover and hold, as well as analysing data like CCTV footage of earthquakes to understand what people do during shaking. So obviously a lot of our understanding of what people do during earthquakes is really important for understanding how they're going to respond to an earthquake early warning.
0: Just on that CCTV footage, can you tell me a little bit about what, what you've found from looking over that, about what people do do when an earthquake hits?
1: So we looked at footage from Wellington Airport during the 2016 Kaikōura earthquake. There were 68 people and only one of them fully dropped, covered and held, which is what's the recommended action in New Zealand. We saw a lot of people kind of just standing or wandering around or looking to people around them. There was clearly not a whole lot of knowledge of what they should be doing in response to the shaking.
0: So is this one of the factors you need to take into consideration when we're looking at an earthquake early warning system, people actually knowing what to do if they get one of these alerts?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's not a lot of time to process an alert when it comes through before shaking starts. So if people already know what they should be doing to protect themselves in an earthquake, whether there's a warning or not, and if they've practised that behaviour, then that's going to help you know, save them time so they can process the warning quickly, remember what they need to do, and then do it.
0: If it's an alert coming through with mere seconds of warning for incoming shaking, you can't actually put a lot of information in an alert like that?
1: No you can't it takes people you know understandably a while to process okay I've got an alert this is what it's telling me this is what I need to do. So people tell us they want a lot of information in an alert so information around things like additional geohazards so tsunami risk and also earthquake characteristics uh, like magnitude location that sort of thing. So this is another area I think where education and communication around how it works could be useful so that people understand that okay in this first alert all you need to worry about is protecting yourself that other information that we know you need we know you want that will come pretty quickly after because I mean there is research showing that if you put more information in a warning it uh, it decreases response time because people are less likely to go and look for that information before they take action But that research wasn't in the context of earthquakes where you can only get, you know, maybe a few seconds of warning. So it's another one of those areas where we would need to do some research to work out what's the best information to include. How quickly can people process it?
0: Is there an appetite for an earthquake early warning system?
1: It seems like it, yeah. So in 2019, we surveyed 3,000 New Zealanders. And 97 percent of them said that they thought an earthquake early warning would be useful or somewhat useful and we also did some surveys following android earthquake early warning alerts in october last year and 83 percent of people who got those alerts said they found it useful or somewhat useful the question is whether this will change over time as the novelty wears off it's unlikely that these people who so far have told us they think it would be useful fully understand the limitations of an earthquake early warning system and what potential negative impacts might be. When we look at countries with existing systems like Japan and Mexico, we tend to see around two-thirds to three-quarters of people find earthquake early warning useful. So it seems like there is an appetite for it, but I think it might not be quite as high as the data is telling us once people are more familiar with the system and with its limitations.
0: As Lauren mentioned there, other quake-prone countries and cities already have earthquake early warning systems. I asked Caroline Holden whether New Zealand is something of an outlier internationally. We don't have one, and we've been watching you know, the development of such systems overseas.
3: So now we have many countries that have operational earthquake early warning systems, uh, such as Japan, who was one of the first country uh, to get one of those, um, California, Taiwan, Mexico City, for example. All of these countries developed their early warning systems after catastrophes. Early warning systems are already operational in Mexico and Japan. Prior to a massive 9.0 quake in 2011, people in Tokyo got a quake warning of
0: more than 60 seconds. Earthquake early warning systems differ from country to country, but there are a number of benefits to them. Even with just a few seconds of warning, action can be taken. It could give organisations enough time to shut down dangerous equipment, for example, or slow down high-speed trains, or put hospital surgeries on hold. The general public might have enough time to protect themselves, drop cover hold, and that has the potential to minimise injuries and save lives. It's not a matter of if... But when the next big earthquake hits here, there's a 75% likelihood of an earthquake on the Alpine Fault in the next 50 years. So why hasn't New Zealand got an earthquake early warning system? In my opinion, the main reason uh, was the cost.
3: So an earthquake early warning system needs to have extremely reliable sensor network needs to have extremely knowledgeable end users. So there's a whole lot of like investment that goes into having a conversation and engaging with your end users. And also really excellent understanding of the earthquake sources and, uh, and prediction of the ground shaking. An earthquake early warning system is a really expensive addition to your resilience toolkit, really. And so 20 years ago, you know, when these started to come up around the world, instruments, sensors were really expensive. In New Zealand, we have an amazing national monitoring network called GeoNet, and it consists of very high level, very call them fancy seismometers to upgrade to an early warning system. It would cost, you know, about 50 million to upgrade it and then about 25 million to run such system. So the cost is a very prohibitive reason. The second reason is that, you know, until recently, earthquake early warning was we providing a lot of false and missed alerts. And so... This is something you need to really be careful when you're engaging with communities and making sure there's no warning fatigue. So, so these are the two reasons, you know, in my opinion, that, that made New Zealand just you know, sit and watch what was happening overseas or internationally. But actually, in the last few years, all the stars started to align for this, you know, for pushing for such system in New Zealand. We could see all the successes of those systems overseas. The cost for sensors is coming down uh, dramatically. You can now, you know, anyone can actually afford a sensor. I would encourage anyone to have one if you can. I have one myself uh, right now. They're not, you know, they're not the GeoNet style sensors. There's, these would be like unaffordable, but you can still get a decent a decent seismic sensors that you, for your personal use. So I have one, it's telling me, for example, you know, uh, when a house shakes uh, because of my washing machine going, uh, but also can capture small magnitude shake Uh, let's say, you know, 30 kilometres away from Wellington, where I'm living.
0: New Zealand's got the building blocks of an earthquake early warning system. That network of fancy geonet sensors is a good start. But Raj Prasana from Massey University's Crisis Lab says we've got to expand the network to get good coverage right across the country and upgrade our technology.
2: The question is uh, whether we have enough number, enough density of these devices Uh, and other infrastructure, the communication infrastructure, for us to extend that to get the actual warning. Because at the moment, what we get is some information about earthquakes, but not as a warning. So yes, we we have some technology. So it's mainly primarily, we need uh, ground motion detection devices to detect. And then of course, transmit that information uh, where we can process them uh, and verify whether that is an earthquake. So, for that, we need to have software and hardware to do that.
0: And obviously, a lot of this processing is having to happen very quickly. If we are setting up a system that would potentially give you five to 10 seconds warning of a strong, strong shaking because of an earthquake, that data processing, that analysis, that's got to happen super fast.
2: Exactly. That's that's the that that's very important part of this. If we have to give the benefit of a longer warning time, so detection have to be super fast. Transmission of that data has to be super fast to the central server, and the processing capability of the algorithm you are running uh, should be pretty quick, super fast. But while doing that, it has to be accurate as well, because you don't want to give a false alarms, right? Uh, Yes, so latency, if you can reduce the latency of your entire system, that will give you more benefit. Uh, So you can transmit that benefit to end users to give a, a longer warning period.
0: But we don't have to just rely on these really fancy, expensive GeoNet sensors. The price of sensors has come down quite a bit. What else could we use to bolster the network?
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's really a uh, good and I think timely question because uh, as you correctly mentioned, the device cost, uh, ground motion detection device cost has come down significantly and the technologies have Im- improved and there are different levels of performance of these devices. These days you can easily find devices which have got some good quality, efficiency, and effectiveness, but yet their prices are low. So you you can use these devices, along with other high-end devices, to work complementary to develop uh, a dense network that will help you to develop a warning. So previously, probably you may have been providing information only, but uh, enhancing uh, the density of your uh, network with low-cost devices. Uh, with high-end devices uh, will give you opportunity to uh, actually expand your network to become actual warning system.
0: Mobile phones could also play a key role. At the moment, Google is trailing its earthquake detection technology in New Zealand, so some people with Android phones have been getting alerts seconds before they feel the shaking.
2: You use the motion detection sensors installed in mobile phones to detect the ground motion, but you can't compare the quality levels of the motion detection sensors in uh, mobile phones to a geonet sensor or even to dedicated ground motion detection sensor, which is a low cost one uh, because the purpose originally for mobile phone uh, motion detection sensors are not for earthquake early warning. So they can actually detect, but uh, at a different level.
0: But potentially in future, it adds to the picture.
2: Although we are saying okay, they are they are less quality. A difference between less quality and high quality is getting closer and closer with the technology enhancements. It's like that. Okay, ten years ago, we we had digital cameras and. Uh, other type of cameras to take a good quality picture. But now we can do that really well with your mobile phone camera, right? So you can you could say that uh, the technology for motion detection is also rapidly increasing. So we definitely consider mobile phone as a really important one device you can plug into these uh, early warning networks.
0: How do we weigh up the cost and benefits of implementing a system like this? Yes, that's a great
3: question because the most prohibitive reason not to have an early warning system is, is cost, right? If we have infinite money, we just uh, we just one out and uh, make sure that you know we've we've done all the engagement with people and so on. But um, up until recently, the cost of a sensor, seismic sensor, was very high. Uh, now the sensor cost is coming down, so it's becoming more affordable. But we're still talking about an investment of potentially you know to twenty five million dollars per year. If you think of a 25-year investment, you know, so let's say I want to talk to our national emergency management agency and I go and have a discussion with them about hey, it would be a good idea to have an earthquake early warning system. Hey, but NEMA would cost you more than 500 million <laughs> for 25 years. They might just, you know, choke. But then you know, you have to just step back a bit and consider that actually, if you think of the cost of an injury to society in New Zealand. It's it's quite high. It's about eighty thousand dollars. So if I, I'm going back to NiMa, you know, our National Emergency Management Agency. I say, all right, it might cost you five hundred million for your next twenty-five years. But hang on, that's actually, you know, you, you're going to get money back here because we're going to be able to save the cost of those eight thousand injuries.
0: Uh, you start talking
3: about the same numbers.
0: I guess any decision to roll out an earthquake early warning system in New Zealand that is going to need to be accompanied by a massive education campaign because there's no point investing millions of dollars for people to get alerts on their phone and then not know what to do with them right
1: yeah definitely so if people don't know how to respond to an alert it's probably not going to help them much but also you know we do know that these systems even good established systems are reliable at not not entirely reliable so we would always expect some false alerts and some missed alerts And if you don't communicate around why those happen, then, you know, you can lose trust in the agency or organisation that's putting out these alerts. And it's really important that Kiwis have trust in the system and whoever's behind the system. That's it
0: for today. I'm Sarah Robson. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Emile Donovan and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Caroline Holden, Lauren Vanell and Raj Prasana, Kakitiano.